Now, I have confessed before in a prior sermon that I struggle with people telling me what to do. Is anyone else there with me? It's not so much the stuff that I don't know how to do. I'm glad to take advice on that. I've never played polo before, so I'm not going to expect to go in knowing how to play. But for a minute, just imagine with me. You're putting on your favorite mowing shoes. You get the green and yellow beast fired up. You throw your headphones on, and you're ready to mow that grass. And all of a sudden, your neighbor's across the street waving his hands. What are you doing? Why are you mowing it like that? You're making the same meatloaf recipe you've made for the past 30 years. Your sister walks in the room with a look of disgust on her face. That is going to be disgusting. You need to make it like this. It rubs you the wrong way when you feel competent, when you feel confident in the ability to do something. And I really hate to be that guy this morning. So I guess in a way you could say I hate myself this morning. But that's how it's going to be. In Psalm 50, we enter into a meeting between God and his people, the Israelites. And often when I set meetings with people as a pastor, like it seems like the first text I get back is, am I in trouble? No. Most of the time it's not. But this case, it is. You are in trouble. I don't know if you've ever seen the show Intervention on A&E, but the whole concept is there's an individual in the family who's struggling with an addiction, who has this large problem, and the whole show culminates into this meeting where they sit down with their family and to the whole world because the cameras are watching, and they're told they're living their life wrong. They need to change how they're living. Up until this point, they have been utterly convinced that they have been doing it right. And so God is having an intervention with us. He calls the heavens and he calls the earth to watch. I can just see Gabriel and Michael rounding up the angels. Get your popcorn, guys. It's going to be good. You're not going to want to miss this. And the conversation starts out pretty good because... As it says, he has no complaint of the sacrifices that he offers. But he says, don't you realize I don't need them? If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Do you actually think that I eat this stuff? And the word says, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. And keep through vows you made to the Most High. Then call on me when you're in trouble. And I'll rescue you. And you will give me glory. Israel, you worship without thanks. This is what gets me. Is that God says that they're faithful. They're diligent. They're reliable. But they're unthankful. Thank you for all the sacrifices that you've been bringing. 
but you're unthankful. They've been dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. They've been doing all that's been asked of them, but they've still been doing it wrong. They've been worshiping without thanks, sacrificing without praise. Now, there are an array of different sacrifices that the Israelites were asked to do. There was actually a sacrifice of thanksgiving. There's a sacrifice to show God as provider. There's sacrifice over sin. They did all of this. They met all the class requirements, but they still failed the class. Faithfulness is not equal to thankfulness. Faithfulness is not equal to thankfulness. You can be faithful, but unthankful. What God wants is for you to be faithful and thankful. Faithful and thankful. Well, if doing what God asks doesn't get us to where God wants, then why would he ask them to do the sacrifices in the first place? Now, it's important to note that Israelites, Israel's sacrifice system wasn't completely unique to them. It's not like they had the patent on sacrificing things to a god. People didn't come into Israel and like, oh, wow, you, you kill your goats for your Lord? I've never thought of that idea. Everybody was doing it. The difference is that God is the one true God. And that Israel didn't sacrifice humans. But in the end, it wasn't all that much different than the sacrifice systems that surrounded them. And so God, being desirous of a relationship with his people, stoops down, gets interested in what they're interested in, and reorients it to point to him. Before you want Johnny and Patricia to be interested in your interests, you better start learning all the different Pokemon names and Polly Pocket stuff. You've got to learn it if you want them to be interested in what you're interested in. So as a loving father, God stoops down and takes something that people use to worship gods that didn't exist and enable them to worship the one true God. And God is so unlike the God of these other cultures because the pagans wanted to sacrifice to appease the God, to keep him happy. I need to do this so I stay on good terms and he doesn't smite me. That's not the case with the Lord. God doesn't need the sacrifice. God doesn't need us. Otherwise, he would fail to be the God of Scripture. So still then, why? If he doesn't need it, why does he ask for it? Why make us do these sacrifices? Why make us worship? Is he cruel? Does he just want us to jump through some hoops to prove himself to be God? What is it? When we worship the Lord and we're motivated by fear, Motivated by appeasing him to make him happy so we stay on good terms. We're missing the point. We're missing the point. All of the sacrifices in Israel were supposed to happen at the temple. That was the one place of worship. 
And before they had the temple, they had the tabernacle, the traveling tent. And of this tent, it said in Exodus 25, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. So I can live among them. God doesn't need a place to live. He doesn't need us to build a house for him, but he wants us to. He wants to make a place among us for him to be. He wants to have a residence among us. (laughs) So if the sacrifices of the Old Testament are no longer required, how does this apply to us? Well, we still have an idea of what God expects from us in worship. We're supposed to come to Sunday worship. We're supposed to have personal devotions. We're supposed to bring our tithes and offerings. And I think if we were going to rephrase this psalm for today, it would sound something more like this. I don't need your worship because if you don't praise me, then the rocks will cry out. I'll be recognized for who I am. I'm self-sustaining. But bring to me worship filled with thankfulness, and you will honor me. God is saying, you are faithful, but you are unthankful. You are faithful, but unthankful. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need your personal devotion. He doesn't need us to be here on Sunday morning. But he wants us to be. But he doesn't need us to. And just because we show up for the opportunity to be in God's presence doesn't mean we show up with the right attitude. Can I be honest for a minute? So, thank you. So, I I don't know how many of you have worked in a blue-collar setting or on a factory floor, right? But no one really cares about safety. We do what we have to do, but in the end, it's not like, woo, safety, yeah, I love it. And and a lot of times, it feels like it makes the job harder. So, anyway, not that I I just want us to throw away all safety precautions. Don't take that. But... (laughs) really the only thing that people like about safety is the fact that they get to sit on their butt for two hours in a seminar or, or on the company computer taking the training course and get paid for it. That's really all that people like about it. But our supervisors would want nothing more for us to wake up every morning, clock in, and then recite the safety creed. I believe in hard hats. I believe in not leaving pallets stacked up on their side. I believe in using the appropriate crosswalks. And I believe in not using my forklift for cool tricks to put on YouTube and TikTok. I believe in safety. I believe. You get safety certified, but you don't have a safety heart. You jump through the hoops. You're faithful. You do all the acts of worship that are required of you, but you don't have a thankful heart. You're faithful, but unthankful. You come to worship 
but you fail to honor God because you don't bring a heart of thanksgiving. Isn't it interesting how when we focus on this obligation to come to worship, we focus on appeasing God, we focus on this checkbox faith that really we're fixated on ourselves. And it's to our own detriment because we lose out on authentic worship where we're transformed by the presence of God. But when we're so caught up with a thankful heart in God's presence, completely focused on God and unfocused on ourselves, we benefit. God doesn't need our worship. God isn't any better because we worship him. Yes, there's more praises going up to his throne, and he deserves it. But he's still going to be the same guy at the end of the day. He's still going to be the greatest being that's ever been. And as upside down as it is, like I said, when we come to worship him, we benefit. He doesn't need it, but he invites us to be there. But still, why why isn't there another way? for us to be transformed by God? Why do we have to come to worship? Why does he ask us to do these things? I don't know if you've seen the movie Karate Kid, but a kid from New Jersey moves to California, starts to get bullied by these karate guys, and so his, of all people, his apartment maintenance man knows karate, so he asks him to teach him. And so lesson one is they go to Mr. Miyagi's little dojo, little building that's away from the apartment, and he says, I want you to paint the fence. I want you to sand the floors. I want you to wax the car. And obviously he's confused, but he's trying to be obedient. He's trying to be humble, so he does it. And hours and hours of all of this work, and finally he just gets fed up. When are you going to teach me karate? When? And Mr. Miyagi says, show me paint the fence. It's a block. Show me sand the floor. It's a karate move. Show me wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyagi did not need Daniel LaRusso to paint his fence, to sand his floors, to wax his cars. He could have done that. He taught him how to do all of that. And it's nice. It's nice that he doesn't have to do it, but he didn't have to. The reason he had Daniel do it was so that he would be transformed into the person he was always meant to be. We don't need to come to worship. God doesn't need our worship, but it is there with thanksgiving hearts that we are transformed into the people that we were always meant to be. The fullness of who you are is only found in God's presence. Worshiping the Lord with a thankful and praise-filled heart is the only authentic worship that you can bring. Bring your worship to him. Not to keep him happy, 
Not to keep him on good terms with you, but simply because of how great he is. Because you want to be with him. Too often worship is seen as a burden and not an opportunity. Let me tell you, Jesus came to make it not a burden so that you can come into his presence being like Jesus so that you can bring an offering to his throne that he likes. And yet, again... And again and again, we think it's an obligation. I have to go to worship. If I don't go to worship, people will wonder what's going on. I need to do that or God will be mad at me. Worshiping God is an invitation, not an obligation. Worshiping God is an invitation, not an an obligation. God has been reaching out to us in love and seeing if we might reach back. And you can come. You can come. It's up to you. But you better BYOT. Bring your own thankfulness because he's not going to provide it for you. If you're going to come to worship the Lord, you better be ready to bring him praise. He wants authentic worship, not because he needs it, but because he wants an authentic relationship with you, not lip service. He wants your true Worship. So it's not bad news that, oh man, I'm worshiping God wrong. The good news is that God can enable you to worship Him right. He can enable you to have a thankful heart. There is grace upon grace for that. The good news is that the Lord can help us to authentically worship Him in His presence this morning so that we're transformed into His likeness. True thankfulness comes from the heart. True worship comes from a thankful heart, a heart entranced with how great, how mighty, how marvelous, how wonderful our God is. A thankful heart worships God out of desire, not obligation. A thankful heart worships God out of desire, not out of obligation. So I'll ask you again, are you faithful but unthankful? Well, how do I tell? Well, maybe if you've come to worship because like you feel you should rather than because you have something burning within you to praise the King of Kings, you might be faithful but unthankful. If your devotional life is more about being able to say, I read my Bible today. I prayed today, then it is about spending time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You might be faithful, but unthankful. And if you're more worried about what other people see you doing in the worship service than what God sees you doing, you might be faithful, but unthankful. So I'll ask again, are you faithful, but unthankful? The good news is that he can change that. But I got to teach you how to rap. Is that a hip, hop? No, R-A-P, rap, okay? First, you got to recognize the good. you got to recognize the good. You can't be thankful if you've got nothing good to think about. you got to have something tucked away or something that comes to light that you realize this is a good thing. But you can't stop there because there are a lot of unreligious people who are thankful that recognize the good. you got to move from recognizing to attributing. You see the good thing, and then you say, Lord, it can only be from your hand. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above. I only have it because you gave it to me or you allowed me to have it. You recognize the good, you attribute it to God, and then you can't stop there. you got to praise him. you got to praise him. But so many people skip past one and two and go to three, and the praise is empty. Because you're not thinking of something that he has done that's good. It's empty. You sing the words, but you're not thinking about them. I'm just here. You've got to recognize the good, attribute it to God, and then bring him a praise. Bring him a praise through prayer. Bring him a praise through a song. Let him know how good he is. Let him know how thankful you are. Before you get to worship on a Sunday morning, what are you thinking of? Are you more worried about what me Pastor Christian or Miss April are going to do to you when you're late for your dream teamer position? Or are you entranced with how good our God is? Are you fixated more on what's going on on the platform or how God is moving? Do you remember all of the ways God has come through in your life? Or do you think about what's for lunch? After church, recognize the good, attribute it to God, and praise him. And so we're going to do just that. I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to have an opportunity to praise him. But to make sure that your words aren't empty, we're going to have a time of reflection before that. To recognize the good, attribute it to God, and then we'll bring him a praise with thankful hearts. So now would you would just bow your head as we reflect together on how God has been good. What valleys or hard times has God brought you from? What people has God put in your life that he's used to make you who you are? Today, how has God transformed you as a person throughout your life? What opportunities has he blessed you with? Resources. How has he proven to you his power? How has he provided? How has he comforted your soul. Where would you be without him? Lord, we come to you today wanting to bring a praise that is filled from a thankful heart. We just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit's presence would be palpable among us. And may this offering of worship be a pleasing arona to your throne this morning. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's praise the King of Kings.